You're about to listen to youth-produced content from Listen Up Youth Radio. Listen Up is a Twin Cities social enterprise working at the intersection of youth employment, leadership, and media production. Learn more at www.listenupyouthradio.org. This episode originally aired in July 2018. Hi, I'm Chino. And I'm Ijoma. And this is First Gen, where we talk about political and social issues and everything else in between. This is a youth activism sort of radio station where we're going to talk about the good and the bad in sort of society right now, current events, and everything in between. It sort of fits into those categories. So, Gino and I are from YTAC St. Paul. Um, that started this year, like the beginning of the school year. It stands for Young People's Action Coalition, and there's one in Minneapolis, and we're the one, we're in the one that partakes in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and in there, it's basically a young activist group where we figure out what sort of events are going on, what kind of protests are going on. We go, we represent YPAC, and we have a great part in sort of the activism that's going on in the Twin Cities and anywhere else uh, as well. Super cool. <laughs> so today our first topic is going to be immigration and sort of what is exactly going on right now with Trump's uh, separation policies that are going on down in the Rio Grande. Um, specifically, uh, the detention centers that are going on uh, specifically in Brownsville, Texas, where there is a empty Walmart facility where they are keeping and housing uh migrant boys who uh, cross over with their parents and are taken into custody by the U.S. Um, so, as a result of his new policy, there is extreme overcrowding in sort of uh, these Walmarts uh, that are going on. Um, there are over like a thousand boys there from ages 0 to 17, uh, and they get to see, they go inside, they stay inside for 22 hours a day. Um, and because there is a no-tolerance policy in those detention centers, they uh, many times end up being incarcerated at a young age, which I think is just another tactic to just keep up the mass incarceration of sort of brown and black bodies in America. Yeah, that's, I think that's exactly it, um, which is pretty scary. Pretty scary. So, like, I guess one question we can ask ourselves is, where have we seen this before in history? Like, and why is the separation happening between parents and children? Like, we've seen this happen before, right? Yeah, I feel like it's the, you know, the tactic they used to do, like, if you show a kid the stick, like, or a weapon or anything, they're less likely to do anything. Um, especially, like, in regards to, like, slavery, when they would separate the families apart. I don't know, it's just kind of a fear tactic. It's a way to strip power of people, make sure that you're able to, like, be more in control. Right, sort of kind of like institute superiority into like the kids that are in those attention centers because now that they know like where sort of they fit in society sort of, uh, now they're afraid. Uh, there was a reporter who was one of the first journalists who actually got to go inside those attention centers. He was saying how once he went in there, the guards telling him to smile at the children because the children said that they feel like they're in zoos. They feel like they're being watched and being encaged. So, like, you can see that sort of superiority complex already starting to 
work because they are sort of seeing themselves as lesser already and understanding like where they are in society. I'm really scared that a lot of people don't know about it, especially like I'm not very knowledgeable on the topic, which also scares me because the fact that this is going on in our country right now and a lot of youth don't even seem to know about it is really worrisome. Right, and like um, it's already it's only more impactful because like uh, Trump already tried to strip DACA from dreamers mm -hmm. in, the, in the country, so from people who already were considered sort of citizens and residents of the United States, uh, they have the fear of one day DACA being stripped from them as well. So it's not only like new immigrants that are coming over with their parents and are like at a young age, but it's also people who have been here their entire lives, uh, who are already guaranteed residency in the United States and still are afraid because of Trump and because of his policies where it's like absolutely no tolerance of immigration. Yeah, like, I know that we both have experiences with, like, immigration, both with our parents and with our families. What do you think about it? Well, I think it's, like, absolutely, like, terrifying because I have a cousin. Uh, he's disabled uh, from the waist down, so he's in a wheelchair, but he's mm -hmm. also a dreamer. Yeah, he was afraid that his DACA would get removed from, like, uh, from him, and he would lose his uh, residency approval from the United States, uh, which, you know, is absolutely terrifying because he's been here since... He was, like, younger than one. He has only known the United States. Uh, he lives in California, and he recently got, he recently got accepted into uh, the University of San Diego, So, which, you know, going to happen because uh, his DACA was a threat of getting, like, stripped away from him. I think it's crazy, too, like, how close these stories are. If we were to go back to school and stuff like that, you know, and start talking about this stuff, kids would just be like, it's just like so far removed, but like people have family members who, you have family members who like, this is scary. Right, it is a really, it's something very, very real. Uh, it's not something that only affects like a small part of the population, but rather every community there is in the United States. Uh, there are families all over who, you know, I don't want to own this to be like Latino centric, but you know, there are so many other immigrants who sort of, uh, are terrified for how they're supposed to act in their state if, uh, because, you know, immigration policies are mostly uh, uh, not on the federal level, they're uh, dictated by state. Mm -hmm. So it is really up to the state itself, and the state has rights to dictate how they sort of control immigration in their communities. Uh, Minnesota is a, uh, what's that word that's like, uh, we protect immigrants in the state? So yeah, a sanctuary state. Uh, and people are worried that Minnesota soon isn't going to be a sanctuary state because right. there's a lot of um, ICE uh, officers that are sort of coming up here. I know in California, when I was in there for just like a, like a couple weeks, I saw so many ICE officers. Being in Minnesota my whole life, I never saw sort of that sort of like threat towards immigration before. Mm -hmm. I think like the discussion about immigration is also really important. But I think is the discussion we see among our peers because we're going to be the ones who are kind of you know grown up soon. So um, I don't know. Something that I found really interesting back when school was going on is we were talking about um, robots. Like the so far from immigration, right? We were talking about like what if one day robots were to come and you know take over, like become more apocalypse. Um, yeah, pretty much. And basically. Everyone in the class was saying the exact same things that we had been hearing previously. Like, they're taking our jobs, they're going to, you know, run us out, all this stuff. And, like, that is also how, um, as you know, 
kids at our school talk about this. It's what we hear on a daily basis. Oh, like, like, we yeah. hear this not only in, like, schools, of course, but, like, in the news, in the media. Mm-hmm. Our politicians even say it. Like, uh, it is so real. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could I'm sure you could have heard the, the familiarity there that was going on in the oh, classroom. Yeah. Like, in her culture lab, she actually was talking about immigration, and she um, emigrated from Kenya when she was six years old, you know. Mm-hmm. And the classmates were saying how, you know, these people are dangerous, they, they should be locked up, you know, like, what's going on, they should, and all this. And that's just terrifying, like, the fact that this is how we have these conversations. Right, like, um, I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's in policy debate, uh, Claudia, you know, right? Like, yeah. we were talking about, um, sort of what they're going to do, because their uh, new topic for this year for policy debate is immigration mm-hmm. and immigration policies and how we would deal with illegal immigration, which was is a very tough topic for you know teenagers to be talking about. But I also know that there was an immigration topic earlier this year in public forum debate um, where sort of people were arguing against uh, immigration by saying, like, the reason for, like, crime rates rising like blaming sort of immigrants for everything that's going on in America, which was it's a, always have to have a scapegoat, no matter right. what topic or anything we're talking about. It always has to be someone or something to blame. Right, and it's like this cycle. We never see like the harm we're doing on our own people or like the people of other countries as well. We're always seeing the bad in other countries, but never in our own. Like for example, like the most general topic I can think of, like Germany, right? When Germany was uh, harming its own people, American citizens during that time were in awe. They said, essentially, you guys are doing the same thing in your country with Japanese concentration camps and how you're segregating your people with uh, colored only and whites only in your country. Like, we are no different than what Germany did. And Germany owns up to its mistakes. And they're now saying, like, we recognize that the Holocaust was a very bad thing that Germany did. And they instituted laws to make sure those things would never happen again. And America only runs away from its problems. Maybe, like, the reason why America is just still continuing this pattern over and over again is because we don't acknowledge it. Like, we never acknowledge why these things are. And maybe, like, that's also in correlation with Germany. Like, they acknowledged it. They were like, we are never doing this. We are never making this mistake again. And this is a terrible part of our history, but we have to talk about it in a way that's true, or else you're just going to have what's happening in America where it's going to just continue. I definitely think it's intentional, though. Like, America is definitely doing this on purpose. We There's no way we haven't seen our faults, right? Like, mm-hmm. we are very much aware of these things, and I think it's a power move, honestly. Like, uh, um, the government is doing this because uh, there's that documentary, The 13th, where essentially they're saying, like, uh, Incarcerating someone strips people, strips some of their rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you incarcerate like uh, sort of minorities in America, and you know we all know what happens in jails and like mm-hmm. prisons, like they make them work. So like sort of like what you said, modern day slavery. So it is a power move essentially, just legally. It's like a it's a legal loophole that we found or that the government has found mm-hmm. in order to keep ongoing like modern slavery. Um, encouraging capitalism almost as well. I guess it's kind of like a big systematic move because when those kids grow up, like their pride has been stripped from them. Their trauma, trauma, well. tra- yeah, they're traumatized. And then you just have this whole another system, like systematic problem of 
a community that's able to prosper while another community is disenfranchised. At a young age, like, we sort of brainwash them and say, this is how it's always been in America, this is how you'll be treated in America, and you sort of either scare them away from, like, coming into America, or you incarcerate them like they're doing right now with those boys down in Brownsville, Texas, mm -hmm. and you sort of breed them to become afraid of the American government. I was also kind of like thinking with this topic too, is like why do we otherize so much? Like in this country, and you know, you can judge this is your experience, you know. But like when you were in school and like you had experiences where you were otherized. Right. Like people told you things about yourself. Like why do we do that? Why is this like such a thing? Because it, at the end of the day, isn't this country supposed to be like the melting pot? I just don't understand why we're so quick to otherize. I definitely think we're a melting pot. The problem is the people respect that melting pot in yeah. the media, in real life, yeah. like just the dehumanization of minorities is so ingrained in our society where we don't empathize as much as we should. We don't see the similarities and we've been brainwashed to think they are different from me. And I think that has been fed to us where, you know, it's not, it's maybe, not unintentional. Maybe that's why it's like so easy. For people to, you know, just not care about this. Because, like, those children, for a lot of people, like, a lot of Americans, unfortunately, they've been dehumanized. They're, like, a political um, figure. They're, like, they're not kids in, in a lot of politicians' eyes. No, they're genuinely kids. Like, why isn't... Yeah, they don't crazy. feel the same empathy that they, that they ought to. They mm -hmm. see them as sort of numbers that are piling up in incarceration centers or detention centers or just statistics. Mm -hmm. They see a lot of minorities as statistics instead of like what they actually are. Like, where, where was this happening again? Brownsville, Texas. In Texas? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. There must be people that are... I hope there would be people that are doing something. Well, yeah, that's why um, like the first flood of journalists actually got to enter these detention centers and... That's why we're hearing it, like, just sort of, like, right now, like, what's going on. That's um, why it's not servicing that much either, because only so many people are allowed to go and interview. Um, but I also think the whole, like, empathy side of this is as a result of um, epigenetics, know. you know. Do people even have empathy anymore, though? Like, is it? <laughs> I don't really see it. It's the plague. It's infecting all of us. We're not seeing sort of all of each other eye to eye. We're not seeing the similarities in each other anymore. We're just... Otherizing people who are already marginalized. Um, but with the epigenetics thing, it's like in science, uh, we've proved scientifically that the environmental factors in your ancestors uh, contribute to how you are today. Uh, okay. So, uh, as a result, uh, we've also found that behavioral problems in our ancestors also affect us. I also think it's why. When we see someone of our race or of our um, marginalized group, I guess, uh, we sort of feel more connected to it and we feel the, we empathize with them more, we feel more saddened by it and we feel distraught. It's a whole scientific approach to it, but I think it explains a lot of how society is working in America and how we are losing sort of empathy with other people and we only empathize with people who are in our social group. If I saw like, families being separated because of like immigration officers, you know, I'd feel a certain way, I'd feel distraught. Mm -hmm. And to apply that sort of empathy and apply that sympathy to other marginalized groups is something we can all learn. 
So yeah. we can feel the same sort of power that someone from that marginalized group would feel as well. I think this is also kind of like what makes me a little angry because especially like before I knew that this stuff happened. It's really sad because eventually you have to wake up and you have to sort of recognize everything that's going on and you can't be ignorant. Like I think that's one thing a lot of people need to understand is you can't, you shouldn't keep running away from this and like choosing ignorance over acknowledging the problems that are going on because you know we're we're greater in numbers and if those numbers are know and recognize what is going on currently in society then uh, it'll be more impactful than it is right now with the recognition that's crazy though because like we'll i mean thank goodness in some ways like that we have social media itself that is able to spread this fast because you wouldn't have known about what happened in Texas Absolutely. if we were in Minnesota. I saw it on Twitter. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would not have known about it at all. And, you know, there's only so many people who, like, uh, subscribe to, like, New York Times articles, you know. The yeah, internet no has really time for that. Also, going back to, like, the ignorance is bliss thing as well, it's kind of hard to, I don't know, understand that too. When, like, what we're taught in schools, like, we'll never be taught what's actually happening. That's, that's very true. We, who knows how many things we're learning in, in school, like, yeah. the thing, like, stuff that probably happened. Yeah, I don't know, honestly, like, not to get too, like, conspiracy on, you know, everyone, but... I love a good conspiracy. <laughs> I don't even know if the stuff they're teaching us is accurate. Oh, it definitely is not. I bet that some things have been changed throughout history, and we've, we've adopted Mm-hmm. sort of that way of thinking and have accepted it into our textbooks and into our school system. I definitely don't think that what we're learning is truthful in its complete sense. Yeah. Because, like, just even knowing, like, the true history of immigration, like, if we really um, taught children that, like, the white people in this country, like, the Europeans in this country immigrated here, as in they were not here before, and when people genuinely understood that, like, this is not your land. Like, <laughs> if, we, if we really understood that, I just don't know if we would have, like, the same problems with immigration that we're having now. Or even understanding, like, how do you own land, right? Like, the idea of owning a territory is a European construct. No one That's before true. believed that we own the land. The Native Americans up here and like, the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Incas, I can speak for, had, like, they didn't own, like sort of the earth they had like their tribes and like their territories but like they never like it's very like european way it is a very, very european concept and they uh, colonialized they like, these places and we just finished ap hero and like if you think about how they taught us about like that one chapter about colonization it was never about like came they came there and then colonized or they came and took it was kind of just like oh, they just found themselves, you know, like, in this part of the world. They found themselves here. Like, no, they went there, and they destroyed things. Exactly. Like, like they didn't just happen to, like... What's that Aztec king that we learned about? Didli Chan or something? Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> they were talking about how... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Hernandez? Cortez? Hernandez Cortez, right. <laughs> how he came um, over from Europe colonized sort of all of Latin America and oh yeah by the way he like killed a bunch of people but you know that's one little thing that you should take from this textbook you know Mm -hmm. it is um I don't think we structure our education system the way we ought to the way we ought to 
teach history. Is like, this is what happened. Oh. These horrible things happened. Also, I was on the ride here on the radio. I don't know who it was, but some, you know, Trump guy. He was talking about, he was using like the Bible or something like that. Like, I don't know if it was about the laws in the Bible or what you should do or what you shouldn't do in regards to immigration and stuff like that. And oh my, that just made my blood boil. Like, the mm -hmm. fact that... Using Christianity to justify... Not even Christianity, like selective Christianity. Like, oh, yeah. they're choosing like cherry certain things. Yeah, they're cherry picking things that they want to highlight. And that's just so frustrating, especially like... And even like considering myself a Christian, when does my religion have any right to impose rules on anyone else? Um, there was a letter from Hernan Cortez to, I think it was uh, the King of Spain at the time, I don't remember exactly what it was, some, some, like uh, the fifth or something. But They all had the same name. <laughs> they all the same name. But um, he, in that letter, was talking about how, uh, you know, these savages of like Aztecs and these savages of the, Me of the Mex Mexico Empire, like... Um, he was saying how like he needed to introduce the word of the the word of God and sort of impose Christianity on them because without Christianity they were lost savages, mm -hmm. and he was sort of like uh, degrading them for not being Christians and for not knowing who Jesus or God was, and he that's exactly how they sort of they're doing ended up colonizing that right everyone exactly. But, but that's really scary because your text like I don't have I don't understand why their text should have. Like, any say. It should be a spiritual thing. It should be in your home, your temple, your your church, whatever. It should be there. It should not be in politics. And that's really scary because the children... Separation. Yeah, the children that are, like, you know, being forced in these areas. So many Native Americans were forced to assimilate because of Christianity, because of sort of the, the religious ideas. You know how there's, like, a measles outbreak in Minneapolis, right? Like Oh, that's a whole other topic. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. But it was, it was a church group who went to visit the Somali community uh, and oh, yeah. spreading sort of, like, the idea that, oh, you, if you vaccinate your children, they will end up with sort of these diseases and these mm -hmm. sort of side effects mm -hmm. and sort of, like, lying to them about everything that, like, the vaccines do. The vaccines do. And as a result, we have a measles outbreak. Children are getting very, very sick, specifically the Somali community, which is just devastating. And we've seen it throughout history as well. Sort of imposing your beliefs on other people. Yeah. Like the community they chose to go to. Exactly. One of the fastest rising communities, like, in the Twin Cities. It's We've seen it before. It's precedent. Like, you impose your ideas on sort of people who don't, don't know what you're talking about like new ideas introduced they don't know like exactly what to do like i think one of the only ways that i don't know i think you just need to start over because like this place <laughs> like it was it's like it was born on sin like america is just it doesn't work right it's <laughs> this whole, like especially in regards to like immigration this whole like coming here entitlement it's just not working we, it, it is absolutely disgusting how we treat immigration in the States, like, starting with, like, the sort of, when Asian people started crossing over and, like, immigrating to America, they suddenly were like, oh, we can't have this sort of immigration keep happening, you know, first it was, like, the French and Italians, and then it sort of gravitated towards Asian, Asians coming over, and now yeah. it's the Hispanic communities being affected. I think what's also interesting, like, if this all makes sense in the end, but, like, I think what was also interesting, I think the reason also why I liked when we read, when we read The Great Gatsby is because, like, it was um, dislodging the American dream. Mm -hmm. And it, 
that's why I think I like the book, but that was another conversation we had earlier. But basically, so many immigrants who come here, come here for the American dream, and they usually work harder. And, like, you just end up seeing so many successful people from all over the world, and it's threatening. Like, th- that's, like, the white <laughs> complex. It's it's being scared. That's basically what they do. Like From the book, Carol Anderson, she specifically talked about her idea on, like, what white rage is and separating it from black rage and how it's portrayed in the media. White rage is sort of the fear white Americans get when they see black advancement in America. It's a really, you know, simple complex. I mean, like, if you take something from someone else, you know, you know how easy it was to take. You're gonna... Superiority. Yeah, you're gonna be scared that someone else is gonna take it from you, because, like, I think deep down, I don't know if you can call it guilt, but deep down there's, like, there's something they know that this isn't oh, they gonna know. last forever. They definitely know what's going on, and like they real, they realize it's going to be taken from them. And that's why, like, they're doing things like immigrate. Like the immigration policies are literally all stemmed from fear, right? Which is scary because you cannot police, you cannot govern from fear. That just leads to death. That leads to traumatizing situations. That leads to incarceration. It's not good for the people. It's not good for the governments. Uh, yep. I think, uh, sort of. Well, the book White Rage was sort of surrounding itself around the idea that with every sort of advancement in America that we saw, like with the Emancipation Proclamation or the Civil Rights Era or the election of Barack Obama, we saw a negative reaction for every positive reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I forgot what statistic was. It was ridiculous. It was like, I want to say like 400%, but like um, the amount of like threats and hate emails and sort of, uh, you know, racial threats that President Obama got was like, I think it was like 400% above uh, George W. Bush, the, one of the most hated presidents mm-hmm. currently. Uh, and it was insane, like, how much people feel threatened because of minority advancement in America and how much they feel like they need to attack uh, yeah. President Barack, forward. President Barack Obama. Um, my mom and I were watching this like show. Well, my mom was watching it, but I just like snuck in for a second. I think it was called like Westworld or something. I don't even know, but it was about like the sheriff and like this black man who owned like a horse stable, and then there was like a random white guy too, who's you know, and there was an accident in the community, and like there was only like, three black people in the community, and there was an accident with one of the black man's horses that ended up trampling. Um, a white child, but it was an accident, um, and the black people were all terrified, just like the white people, they're all terrified and all this stuff, um, and then the black man who owned the horse stable went and apologized to, um, the man who had ended up, like, tending the horses after him, he's like, I'm sorry you had to be in this position, you know, all this, all this, but it was really interesting, because the sheriff was there, and the sheriff was the one who wasn't racist, and he was kind of talking to, you know, both of them. But the man, like the white man that was being talked to by a black man, was just like, <laughs> it was just like the same thing that like we see all the time, kind of like, you can't talk to me like you're in a position above me, like you'll never be in a position above me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I just think it was, I thought it was a really interesting episode, because it kind of showed like the attitude that so many Americans had it? to like Obama. Yeah, like when a minority is above you, like How it's dare you of status. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like, even if they don't realize they're doing it, they kind of just do this double take, like, are you, like, talking to me? Yeah. Kind of thing? Yeah, um, it's a superiority thing. Like, mm-hmm. people, I think, 
they get scared because they realize it's not going to last forever. Um, I think I remember like, uh, I don't remember exactly where this is from. Uh, oh, I think The Great Gatsby as well. The See, the it's a good book. <laughs> I didn't like the book, but... Um, no, it, you just gotta get deep a lot of lessons. It. Yeah, uh, it's a good book. But I think it was Tom in The Great Gatsby, one of the characters, was talking about how one day uh, the minorities will take over America and there will be like a white extinction. Oh, eugenics? Yeah. Yeah. And he was uh, talking about how like we can't allow that to happen now. We have to like sort of dominate. Well, white people have to dominate themselves and assert themselves in the population because, you know, there's mixed races coming out every day. Like, uh, there, uh, I think it was like by 2050 or 2030, like we will have the majority population will be ident will identifying as mixed race mm -hmm. because um, that's what Tom said. Like, um, Tom, Tom. Uh, white extinction he was basically saying and it was it, it's something that white americans are genuinely feared genuinely feared about afraid about you know what would be cool like if we could get a discussion going about that because why are we talking about it like we already know what this is you know like sort of what sort like of if we got a, a conversation of like white superiority to like genuinely talk about it you know what i mean because we know what we know what this is like a lot of minorities experience it all the time but if we could get, like, at one of our discussion clubs or, like, one of our white back meetings and, like, genuinely talk with white people, or just even let them talk among themselves, I don't think we need to say anything and have them talk about it. Because, yeah. I definitely think, like, it's not talked about enough. Like, people have an idea of it. I don't even think they do. Because, like, you remember, I remember, like, the first time I started getting involved in, like, sophomore year of high school, and I was like, Oh wait, there's like certain privileges you get, like <laughs> based on how you like and like you know the yeah. the privilege word. And I remember I was like talking to some people. I was like, oh, like you being white, like you get privileges, like you know that, right? And it was just like that small privilege word. I didn't even bring up like they get superiority. so defensive. Yeah, it's like oh, privilege. Yeah, they're like my life's hard. It's not saying that your life isn't difficult. Like sure, maybe to you it is difficult, but you might you should also recognize that you have an advantage. Even still, even if your life is difficult, you have an advantage in society. You're just not aware of it. And especially in suburban Egan, Minnesota, you're so unaware of your privileges because everyone around you has those privileges as well. Like, not only, like, white privilege, but also rich they're well off. Yeah. They're rich. They don't have to see sort of the, the reality of things. Yeah. But, you know, like, it's like tying this back into immigration and stuff like that. You know, there's just so many different, which is, okay, so there's just so many different avenues as to, like, why this is happening. But I think, I think we can agree that, like, this superiority complex, like, this, this yeah. fear of being inferior, like, they I, want, they want minorities to be below them, to keep being below them. That's yeah. why they're putting children in these detention centers, and then, uh, consequently, Incarcerated, but that also like I don't know. I'm a big education person. I feel like if we if we stop teaching superiority in our schools, like the way we teach history classes, we've always taught who was in power. We've <coughs> always taught how they've been better, and you know we've always taught who wasn't. You know, Edina High School again, they're getting sued. Yeah, because they're teaching supposedly anti-racist ideology. 
Uh, Wait, what? What do yeah. you mean like that? Like, they, I guess, like, they have, like, sort of, they're not, like, not allowing sort of racism to happen in their school, which every school should be following, but they're sort of tying that in with political beliefs, which being racist or being anti-racist is, uh, it's not, that essentially what those parents are saying, racism, or you being racist means you're Republican, which is really not... Oh, so this around. is the thing where, like, they're suing the Republican club. Or no, not like, suing no, the school. No, they're suing the school. For allowing a Republican club? For, no, they're suing the school because they are not allowing racism. They're not tolerating racism in their school. Wait, so they're they're suing Edina because... A group of parents is suing Edina High School because they're teaching supposedly anti-racist ideology. The parents are racist. <laughs> Well, good thing I don't. Good thing I don't. Let me not say that. That's that's the empathy part. I almost said like, good thing I don't go to Edina. But like, that's really scary for like the few POC that do go to Edina. Exactly, and I think that's tying that into our next topic, which is the necessity of finding a community. Like smooth. Yeah, keep going. (laughs) Like we go to a uh, predominantly white school, right? And I can only imagine how much harder it is for Edina because Edina is. um, I think Edina is more. privileged in the sense of like them being more uh, economically well off compared yeah. to Egan. That's like a mega school. That's like a mini college. Yeah, that's a beautiful school. But um like for us, I know it's difficult finding community and go finding a community. Like going to school became so tiring and so annoying because you know what you're expecting at that school. You like you recognize what's sort of happening um I found, it tra- I found it traumatizing. It was like, traumatizing. Especially when, like, I, I originated, like, you did too. We both originated in diverse schools. Like, we didn't, you know, we weren't born and raised in the suburbs. Right, West St. Paul. And when we, when we moved to, like, the suburbs and, like, we left our friends and, like, we left what we were so comfortable with, like, just being, looking different. Like, you didn't have a, I had a community because I didn't have to find one. So, like, the know, school was your community. That Everyone made sense. was different. Yeah. Everyone, you know. You weren't different from anyone. Yeah, and then, like, when we came to Egan, like, when I came to Egan, Culture the shock. first couple of years, I was depressed. Like, yeah. no one, no one talked to me. And I think that's when you start realizing who you are. Because, you know, if you stayed in that community in, like, West St. Paul, you don't really realize, oh, I'm different from, or I'm a marginalized group or anything. You just see everything as normal. Whereas if you go to a suburban high school and you realize, you're like, this is my place, supposedly, in society that I'm supposed to fit in the role. I'm supposed to be a statistic. I'm yeah. not supposed to fit in with these people or I feel th- the same as these people. I thought, like, the interesting two thing, like, especially when I was talking, I think I was talking to Mr. Hammond about this, about how my being a black girl in this suburban school had a lot to do with my experience, especially, like, being a new kid when I was in middle school and stuff like that. And he was going on saying, like, no, no, this is just a new kid syndrome. (laughs) This is just, like, what happens. But I was like, okay, but can you explain to me why? Because I'm very outgoing. Like, I was never quiet. Yeah. Um, But can I asked him, I was like, can you explain to me why the other new girl, who she was just from, what, South Carolina, but she was white, um, you know, ended up being accepted into the society. Oh, she found her place so easily. So easy. Because people were willing to to talk with her. And it's crazy, too, because I was, my mom thought it was a good idea to put me in the soccer club of that, like, <laughs> of that place before I went to school so that people would know me or whatever. And, yeah, it was fun, you know. And then I got there, and everyone ignored me. It was a really weird experience. It is internalized racism. 
they don't recognize it, but it is there. Yeah. And it does happen. And they allow it to control the way they act. And, like, towards black girls on the soccer team or towards anyone, sort of, they walk past or they meet. Or also, like, the other, the other aspect of it, which is, like, pretty scary, is that when they're... When we see that there are such small amounts of people who look like you or think like you, um, you end up falling into a box. Like, you start acting like how you feel like you're supposed to act. Right. I know I did that, like, freshman year of high school. I acted like how I thought I was supposed to. No, my assimilation was in middle middle school. school. (laughs) And then freshman year, I stopped, like, assimilating, but I had now started maybe assimilating to or subscribing to what I thought meant blackness, which was so wrong. Oh, no. But that's what I did? Right. I don't know. I think it's like you, uh, especially, it's worse especially when you don't assimilate in high school. You know, like you are known as the person who doesn't allow these sort of things to happen, and you are very vocal about issues that you are concerned about and you know people know you as sort of that person that is aware of things and is aware of superiority and is aware of privileges that other people have and it's like a threat to them so they feel the need to internalize it's like internalized superiority as well like they know they're superior or they know they should be and it's weird to them when they see someone below them supposedly recognize that yeah but like that's why this scares me like you and I are going to be gone. Yeah. Like, we after graduate. this year, we're going to graduate. And then we are the only people at our school who seem to care. I have not met anyone else who seems to care about these issues to yeah. the extent <coughs> like that we do. And that scares me because our school's getting very diverse. Oh, it's been very extremely fast. integrated. It is insane. And there's, like, there's, there's no one talking about this. Which is terrifying. Eventually they will either be traumatized or assimilate. Well, I think it's sort of a sad topic, but I think it also has to tie in with sort of acceptance. That's very true. And sometimes society. And like, I don't know, a good way to like close off is like the necessity of finding community is just like finding a community where you can talk about the things that like we talked about. You can just feel comfortable. Yeah, why fact. YPAC became a community where, like, we could breathe for once, you know, like, we felt sort of, it it was a place where we could feel comfortable talking about what we go through, relate with other people who go through your similar things, and, like, it was good to find a community, and I think that's why everyone should find a community, like, should try and find some other people, some group of people who, that you can relate to, who you can bond with, and who you... Like, you know, you share things that you find importance in with, you know, with each other it is so important because if you just stay in a toxic environment, your entire, like, high school career or just, like, environment, like, school environment, work environment in general, it becomes a very traumatizing place. And it plays into effect how you work in your daily life and sort of your mental health as well. It is, it is a very important thing to find your community and where you fit into society as well, how you want to act in society. And, you know, it's not only a community thing, it's also finding yourself as well, like finding who you are and who you want to be associated with as well. 
Very true. Recognize your own morals and be your own person, sort of thing. Enjoy life back. <laughs> Enjoy life back. Thanks for listening. Next time, we're going to talk about some more stuff. Uh, current events that pop up sooner or later. We, you know, cancel the future. So we will see what kind of current events come up next time. So thanks for tuning in. I am Chino. I'm Joma. Thank you for listening. Bye.